My wife told me that, uh, I didn't know this because I don't get on Facebook except once every six weeks maybe. Um, so if you send me something on Facebook, don't expect it to reply, okay? Uh, because I never look at it. My wife told me today is National Back to Church Day according to Facebook. So I expected thousands here today, but you know. So uh, if that's the reason you showed up today for, uh, for, for the service, glad you're here. You must uh, do Facebook more than I do. So uh, that's the deal. No, uh, seriously, guys, we're in the uh, uh, third week of a four-week series called Starting Over. And uh, don't ask what's in the envelope. You'll find out later. Um, but the, the deal is this. Um, we, we began a series three weeks ago talking about this whole deal of how to ensure that next time uh, is not like the last time. How do you do that? How do you ensure that last time the, the failures, the things that, that you wish you could start over in would not end up being like the last time? So let me give you a quick review of what we talked about. So if you weren't here, uh, you won't be uh, missing out on anything. I'll just give you a couple, about a five-minute review of everything. The first two weeks we talked about that what we tend to do so often is we tend to repeat the mistakes in the areas that matter the most. In the areas that matter the least, like uh, hobbies and, and, and you know, different things like that, we, don't, we tend to learn something from those. But for some reason, the areas that matter the most, areas like uh, relationships and finances and jobs and things like that and education, so often what we do is we continue to repeat the same mistakes from the past, and we don't learn from those things. Now, and the reason we talked about that that week was that there's some myths that we believe that we've bought into that ta- cause us in a real sense to, uh, to, to repeat the mistakes of the past. The first was the experience myth, and that was this, that experience makes me wiser. And we said that experience alone does not make you wiser. It makes you older, it makes you tired, or it makes you all kinds of things. But it's not just experience that makes you wiser. Just having experience alone doesn't make it. It's evaluated experience that makes you wiser. Uh, and so we talked about that what we're going to do part of the series is talking about how do we evaluate the experiences that we've had in life. And we're going to really be talking about that today in a real, in, in a real sense. Uh, evaluated experience makes us uh, uh, wiser. Another myth we talked about is the no better myth. Since I know better, I will do better. And, and we kind of blew that one out of the water the, f- sec- the first week when we talked about the whole issue is that just knowing something doesn't make you do it. I mean, many of us know a lot of things about nutrition, about health, about exercise, about sleep patterns. Of, you know, you just go through the whole list of things in life. We know better, but just knowing it doesn't make us do better. Uh, and that alone does not do it for us. It's, it's simply ed- information does not cause transformation in our life. And then the final myth was this one we talked about, and this is what we're going to talk about today as well. It's the time myth that time is against me. That so often when we've gone through a, some kind of a relational failure or some kind of financial failure or some kind of a whatever failure it is in life, sometimes we think we have to jump back in and get on. You heard it, we got get back on the horse and, and do it quickly again, and we sometimes believe that's true. But the reality is in life, um, in regards to making sure that next time doesn't become like last time, is we need to understand that time is our friend. Time is our friend. It's that which helps us to evaluate what's going on, and we'll talk about that more today. And then last week we began what I said was three steps, three things that, uh, that really are things that we need to do if we're going to make sure these is part of the evaluation and the doing process of making sure that that next time is not like last time. And the first one we talked about last week was if we're going to make sure that next time is not like the last time, we have to own our part in whatever happened in the past. That so often we looked at the passage in Genesis where Adam and Eve, uh, the very first, first two persons, when they began the process of, of uh, the first time they sinned, and God gave them one rule, and that one rule was don't eat of that tree over there. And they, what did they do? Like all of us, when we tell our kids don't do that, you know, the first thing we do is that. 
And we said as kids, but that we did the same thing as adults. You know, we are drawn like a, like a, a moth to a candle uh, for some reason to things that we think are, are forbidden. And so we do it. And so we talked about how uh, the problem is, is when that happened in the garden, is when Adam and Eve went through the process of, uh, of not uh, uh, of, of sinning and eating of the tree. What are the first thing they did? The very first thing after they sinned was they placed blame. They blamed. Adam blamed Eve and God. And Eve blamed Satan, uh, the serpent, or whatever. And so we ha- saw that as well. And so we talked about that struggle that we have, that you can't blame your way into a better future. And the secondly is blame is how, and, and blame is also something we talked about, it has how we smuggle our issues of the past, our failures, our, our bad habits, whatever. We smuggle into our future if we, if we don't uh, own up to what was our part. And so we talked about that last week. Now, if you want to kind of catch up and hear the whole thing, we do have it on our podcast. You can go to greatoakcc.org. And uh, we have, uh, every week, we have uh, audio podcast. Uh, sometime in the future, when we get especially cool and a lot more technology, we'll do video, but we don't have that yet. So you just got to listen and not, not hear. So if you're uh, auditory learner, learners, I guess that works for you. So uh, we'll see. So anyway, just let you know that's what's going on so far. Today, we're going to talk about the second of three, of three uh, things we're talking about. We said it, own it. And then secondly, rethink it. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the next week, we're going to talk about the last step, and that's release it. But today, I want to talk about uh, rethink it. Now, this is ish interesting because when we look back on our past, whatever it may be, and particularly something that w- didn't go well, a failure in some area of our life, uh, you, we almost all of us, almost all of us ask the same question. And you know what that same question is? What was I thinking? What was, you ever ask that question to your, of yourself? What was I thinking when I did that? You know, it may have been yesterday, it may have been years ago, it may have been a long time ago, but what was I thinking? You know, I mean, uh, you know, what was I thinking? Everybody warned me about him. You know, and I went ahead and dated him anyway. What was I thinking? You know, um, 0% down and no payments for 12 months. Yeah, it was true, but what was I thinking? Because it just caused me to get into debt. Um, 25 to 30% guaranteed return. Too good to be true? It was. What was I thinking? See, our bad decisions so often, even when we go through and ask ourselves, what was I thinking? Our bad decisions don't even make sense to us most of the time, do they? We're going like the question, what was I thinking about? So this is what we're going to be talking about today. And this is why this is so important about rethinking what we need to do in life. And we're talking about how you do that from Scripture. Uh, this is the thing. If you think the way you used to think, you will do the things you used to do. If you think the way you used to think, you will do the things you used to do. We're going to be talking about how important that is today to rethink the things in life. And if we're going to make sure that that our future is not like our past, especially in the areas of failure, that we rethink it as well. Not only own it, but rethink it as well. Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, if you have your outline, or wherever you want to look, uh, Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12 today. The Apostle Paul. And as we look at the Scripture today, um, this is written by a guy. This is really cool because it's written by a guy who knew exactly what it meant to start over. Uh, we know the history, if you know the history of the Apostle Paul, he's a man who had to start over, not just in a small way, but in a big way. Uh, he, he actually, uh, if we look back in, uh, in history, we see that the Apostle Paul, when we first uh, hear of him, his name was not Paul, it was Saul, and he was known as a person who not only didn't like Christians, he hated Christians. 
And he hated Christians so much that he actually uh, took part in the persecution and killing of Christians. That was his background. Now, you know, I don't know how you feel about Christians, and if you showed up today, obviously he's not totally opposed to Christians, and we're glad you're here. Uh, but hopefully you don't feel like the Apostle Paul did at any time in your life because he had a real problem with Christians. And so what happened with him is the Apostle Paul had this issue, and then he goes through this life and he does all these things that later on he regrets when he has this encounter with, with, uh, with Jesus on a road. And, and as he goes there, the thing that happens to him is he has all these regrets and he has to live with the regret of his past. And, and so what he does, one of the things he does later on as he becomes a follower of Christ and begins the process of helping people to follow Christ, in a sense of what he does here in this letter to Romans, especially in these few verses we're going to look at today that are very familiar to most of us who've, who've grown up in the church, you know. And, uh, but if you're not, you may even have heard these verses before. Um, because of his background, he, he tells us in a sense, how does it, how, what is one of the keys to starting over? And so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. It's kind of a preface to what we're going to talk about. This is what he says, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So the first thing he says, he, he, who's this letter to? It's to Christians. This letter is to Christians. It's not to everybody. So if you're not a Christian here this morning, you're off the hook. Okay? You know, you don't have to follow anything. It's up to you. It's, it's, but for Christians, if you call yourself a Christian this morning, this letter is for you, and it's not optional. Okay? Let me just tell you right up front, it's not optional. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. He says, to offer your bodies. This is kind of a phrase here that kind of says, it's not just about Sunday morning for an hour. It's not just about giving up a little bit to God. It's about giving yourself to God, offering your bodies, he says, as a living sacrifice. And when he says that to them, they're in a system that they, they, don't, they know about sacrifices, but they're in a sacrificial system where they know all about, you know, going when they have a, uh, uh, they're going to God and making things right with God was through this animal sacrificial system. And they knew all about, you know, killing animals and placing the blood upon the altar and doing all those kind of things. To, you know, they knew about that, but he says, no, that's no longer the part of the deal. He said, what you need to do is because of what God's mercy, what you need to do is offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, and this was holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. And so he prefaces this next couple of verses that we're going to look at, really just one or two verses here that we're going to look at, that helps us to understand this whole thing of what it means to rethink the things in life that we need to do, and how do we go about doing that. So, let's talk about that for a few moments this morning. And all we're going to do this morning is I'm going to look at the verse that Scripture has to say, and then what I want to do is conclude the message today of talking about about uh, seven, what I call seven uh, deadly assumptions that we make is illustrations of how this works in our life. Seven assumptions. Now, it could have been 12. It could have been 25. I don't think seven is a limit. These are just big things that we see in culture all the time that all of us have problems with in some way. And if we don't have a problem with it, which probably none of us do with any of these things I'm going to mention later, because it's always about somebody else, right? You know, it's never about me. It's about somebody else, because we learned that last week. Don't blame me. You know, it's about somebody else. But that way, whatever you learn today, if it's not about you, you can take it home and, and tell your friend who has the problem, you know. So uh, just let you know how that works, okay? And I'm being facetious, by the way. Okay. Um, okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The first thing he starts off with is, is he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know what he's saying there? He says, don't live like everybody else. Okay, don't live like everybody else. You know what this is? 
It's a cookie cutter, okay? It's, and you see it better on this side because like, it's green on this side. You got to hold it. This is a really cool cookie cutter. But it's shaped like, I don't know if you can see out there, it's shaped like a person. This is actually one of those little gingerbread men. My wife has these. You know, we make Christmas cookies and stuff like that. But, you know, it says don't be conformed. Don't be, don't, don't be a cookie cutter person. Don't be this, this, this guy. We'll sit him right here. Don't be this guy who... Who is, you know, it, it's like, you know, when you like stamping, stamping people out, it's kind of like he says, don't be, don't allow yourself to be conformed to the pattern of this world. He said, we go, we live in a world where so often if we just go along with culture, what do we do? Okay, I'm just like that person. I'm just like that person. I'm just like, we have a problem with that sometimes when we're different. And so we, we and all of us say, oh, I want to be an individual, but the problem is, is we're like cookie cutters so often. He says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, because when you do, you just become a cookie-cutter, stamped-out person that, that, in a real sense, is, is just, just like everybody else in the world. And, and the, the issue that Paul is saying here, I think he's making it clear, is that that's not good. You know, he's saying that, that if we allow ourselves to, and we're the ones that allow ourselves to, we can be conformed to the pattern of the world. We can just go along with the flow and, and be like a cookie-cutter person. But then he says this, but he says, but be what? transformed he says transformed now what he's saying is that how how much effort does it take to be a cookie cutter person a conformed person how much effort this is where you can talk today okay how much effort zero all you got to do is just go along with everything else but to be transformed you have to make effort it takes effort to be transformed uh, he says don't be like one of these guys what he says is you got to be like one of these guys, okay? Man, you don't know how hard it was for me to find that. Don't be, you know, like this little cookie cutter, don't be like this little guy, you know, like everybody else. Be like this guy, you know? A transformed person, you know, a trans, can you get the visual now? It's a little different, you know? I had to use visual stuff today for you guys. So some of you, the visual learners, that's, it takes that. You'll, you'll remember nothing else except the cookie cutter and the transformer. I don't know what, but hopefully you can relate it to what Scripture says today as well. He says, don't be like one of these little guys that are, that are like a cookie cutter. Be a, trans, be a transformed person. Now, when you hear that, let me tell you what we do so often. When we hear that, we think, yeah. I don't want to be like anybody else, everybody else. I want, to be, I want to be different. I want my life, my marriage, I want everything, everything else. I want to carry all the dumb debt that people carry in our world today. I don't want to be like anybody else. I want to be conformed. I don't want to be conformed. I want to be transformed. But here's the mistake we make so often in churches and in life in general. And maybe as I explain why we do what we do here as part of the process, you'll understand a little bit more because we have been uh, occasionally, um, we have been uh, misunderstood uh, about certain things. The mistake we make, we've made in ch churches for generations is we simply tell people, don't be conformed, but be transformed. And so what do we do? We say, well, what you, our nat natural inclination when we hear this is we start making promises to God. God, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be uh, transformed. And we make promises, and we have people come down, and they fill out cards, and they, they have make, they make uh, 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 
uh, commitments to God or decisions for God, and, 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 then they, and then they make recommitments, and the next summer they make recommitments on their recommitment, and, and then they keep going through this process. And the problem is, is that, the question is, is that are they really committed, or are they really, is it a commitment? Yes, it is. But the problem is, is we all know in life that just simply making a commitment to something and changing nothing else doesn't work. Just saying, I'm going to be committed to it and grunting real hard doesn't work very well. And so the problem is, is that, you know, so often, so often it's people say, well, why don't you have come forward invitations every week at Great Oaks? Well, one of the reasons is we believe that so often sometimes it's just an emotional decision and we want to make sure that it's, because we're talking about helping people take their next step towards God. And it's not just making a decision, it's a making a commitment, and it's making life change that happens, and we believe that happens over time, because time is your friend. It doesn't happen immediately, and I'll, and I'll tell you in a moment why we do that. You know, we, when we just simply try to make commitments to something, and we try, and even when we mean it, does it usually work? Let me tell you how I know that it doesn't work. How, how about your last diet program? How about your last exercise? How many of you have changed at least once in your life diets? At least once. Come on, raise your hand. You've changed diets. You said, I'm going to go on a diet, and I'm going to do it. Were you committed to it? Sure you were. You said you were committed to it, and it lasted for two weeks. Or maybe how many, I mean, you know the reason all the new, new exercise programs come out? Are you committed to exercise? Yeah, but you know the thing is we get bored. And so we have to have something new. You know, I mean, now it's all the, for a while it was P90X, and then, it, then it's now it's uh, CrossFit or whatever, all the other things. I mean, it's, it's going to be a new one next week. Don't worry. It'll be a new one next week because we just have this process in our life. We say, oh, I'm committed to something, but we just don't have a commitment to stay, stick with it, no matter how much our commitment is. Because commitments alone, decisions alone, does not change, bring real change. And the Apostle Paul knew this, and what he says next is the key to the transformation, okay? He says this, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by how? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. It's not just making a commitment, it's by your mind being changed. The word renew there basically means this, it means renew equals restore. It means restore. He's saying, if I want to be this guy, if I want to be this guy, and not this guy. Um, I don't know about the voice thing. I don't know if that works very well. But anyway, just to give you an idea, if, if I want to be this guy, not this guy, the thing is, I can't just make a commitment and say, I'm going to try harder. Because if I try harder, well, guess what? It won't work. We prove it to ourselves all the time. I prove it to myself all the time. So, so Paul says it's, it's about renewing. It's about restoring to what it was originally our minds. I remember many years ago when I was, uh, my first car, anybody remember your first car? Remember your first car? We talked about it a little bit yesterday, I think men's group. The first car, my first car sounded really cool. It wasn't. Uh, my first car, I, I mean, guys nowadays, teenagers got way too much. I hate to say this, but I mean, you know, first car, first car for me was, I paid $50 for it. It was an awesome, it was a 57 Chevy. Sounds cool, right? 57 Chevy station wagon, four-door, <laughs> with 
with rusted out floors in the back. Literally, you could almost do like the Flintstones thing where you stick your feet through it, you know, do like that. Literally, you could do that. We had to put a steel plate in the floor. And literally, every time, I, when I first bought it, every time that I would get in the car to uh, get gas, I had to put a quart of oil in it. Every time. It burned. It was smoke. You know, people knew where I was, where I'd been, you know, because I left a trail of smoke along the way. Well, my dad and I, dad uh, helped me get the car from his friend, you know, I, 50 whole bucks, you know, I had really saved up a long time, and his friend owned his used car lot. Actually, it ran pretty well. It looked horrible. The paint was horrible, the, you know, it smoked, the whole deal, but I was, it was cool. I had a car, you know, that's all that mattered back then. And uh, <laughs> I remember finally, dad said, you know, this is really bad. Let's do a little work on this thing, you know? And so we, we took the, tore the engine apart. It was an old, some of you who are mechanics know it's an old, it was an old straight six. It, I mean, it was so big you could actually almost crawl into the engine compartment. It was not like the new cars now. And, and we actually got in there and we ground the valves and we changed, uh, changed the rings and stuff. And it didn't smoke anymore and it still ran good, you know. Couldn't believe it after we put it back together. And, but then we did the big thing. The big thing was to make it look better on the outside. So we decided, he said, he said son, he said, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. But we can make this thing look better. So we started the process of sanding, bondoing. Uh, it's 57 Chevys, by the way. Every one of them, for some reason, right over the headlights. Both of them, it's always just, they're, they're junk, you know. Anyway, and so we did all that. And we started this process of restoring this car. Well, the problem with it is this. I was 16, and my brain wasn't fully developed, <laughs> like most 16-year-olds. Okay, I know you're 16 here. Just don't just take offense here, but you will get there someday. Uh, but the reality is, is that, what happened was, is we began this process, so I was thinking, well, you know, I really don't want to work that hard on this car. I've been sanding and sanding and sanding, so I kind of cut some corners and didn't sand it as well as I could, so it wasn't really sanded down in places in the way it needed to be sanded, and so finally we took it over to, Dad said, okay, whenever you're ready, we'll do it. He, he just wanted to teach me a lesson, I guess, and so we took it over to this guy's barn, and uh, we, we sprayed it there in the barn, and you know, it looked great for about six months. But the problem was is I hadn't taken it all the way down to where it needed to be. And guess what happens? You know, what happens if you put new on before you take off the old? You know what happens? If you take the new off before you, I mean, if you put the new on before you take off the old. I found this in cars and it works in life too. It's the same lesson. It peels off. So after a while we had these big old places where the paint, because it wasn't, the, the base wasn't there, it peeled right off. See, renewal takes time one of the reasons we just don't say it's not just about coming down and making a commitment that might be a starting place but the issue is folks just saying i'm committed to doing something it takes time it takes time you have to to peel away all you got to get away all the old stuff to put on the new and so often what we want to do in life, and what Paul is saying here, he says, to, to renew our minds, it's, not, it's this idea of restoring. And restoring is a process of getting rid of the old so we can then put on the new. And so often we just kind of want to like say, okay, the old's fine, and I'm not going to deal with that, and I'll get past that, and I'm going to deal with that anyway. And so then I'll just go ahead and you try to put it on top, and what happens? The old pops right back through, and it's still there. See, Renewal takes time. It takes time to put off the old and to put on the new. It's kind of like this. Let me, let me explain something to you. One of the things, if somebody comes to me and says, I'm going to get remarried, you know one of the rules I have? You don't even know this. Probably the staff don't even know this. If they come to me and say, I want to get remarried, I'll look at them and say, how long has it been since, you, since your last marriage? And if somebody looks at me and says, less than two years, I don't even consider it. 
you know, and I wish I could say five years because most times I say two years only because I knew most people won't wait that long. But because it takes time to get rid of the old so you can put on the new. And that's part of the renewal, uh, rethinking the process. We have to think through all the things that we've done. You know, I tell people all the time in long-term relationships, if, you've, if, if, you've, if you're dating and you've been in a long-term relationship and you've broken up with someone and it's been bad, and they come to me and talk to me, I've had this many, many times, guys and, guys and girls, and I simply say to them, hey, do this. Bad relationship. Take a year off from dating. And they look at me like, a year? A year? What if, what if, what if somebody comes to me? What if somebody, if I, if I meet the person that's the right person for me in this next year and I've decided I'm not going to date, they probably wouldn't like you anyway. Because you're not, you know, you're going through, you've got so much junk going on. You haven't dealt with, you haven't taken off the old so you can put on the new. And also in people's lives, when you've gone through major changes, big, big traumatic things in your life, so often I tell people this too, hey, don't make any, after you've gone through whatever kind of change it is, don't make any big financial or relational decisions for an extended time. Because you need time. You need time to take off the old and to put on the new. That's why in a sense sometimes, and one of the things, and this is the, the value, and I, we didn't announce this today, what are the values of small groups? Renewal takes accountability. And you will not do it on your own. You need somebody else to be there and say, hey, I'm going through this process in life. And that's why we have, you know, we, we encourage, one of the reasons we encourage people to be connected with other people in groups because that way you can share and pray for one another and encourage one another along the way. That's also the reason we don't put brand new Christians in leadership in the church. Because brand new Christians, guess what? They're, they just made a commitment. They've got to put off some old stuff before they can get put on some new stuff. It's not because I, I love new Christians' enthusiasm. I wish I could take new Christians' enthusiasm and put it in old Christians. It doesn't work that way too often. But the reality is, is that, the reality is, is that we, we have, it takes time, and that's what Paul's talking about. He says this whole process of, of being renewed by the, uh, by the renewing of our, uh, being transformed by the renewing of our mind is about restoring things to where they need to be before you can put on some new. So Paul says this. Let's go back to what he says. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then he says this. Then, he uses the word then, it's a transitional word. Then, guess what will happen if you do that? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. How many of you would like to know God's will? Anybody here not want to know God's will? Okay, you're sick. Okay? Because you're asking the creator of the universe who created you to, what is up, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? I mean, I ask that question almost every day in some way. And you probably do too. So he's saying, if you will take off the old, if you'll restore to, to back, what, what it is, if you'll let, allow your mind to be changed, you'll rethink things, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And it takes time to do that. It takes time to take off the old and put on the new. Then you'll be able to know what God's will is. So, let me share this two things, and now I don't want to go on a little further. Uh, so often what happens is, is we don't do that, and so we just simply have regret. And I will tell you that regret and resolve are not enough to change our ways. Regret and resolve are not enough to change our ways. You have to have this process of getting rid of stuff and changing it. So basically, where we started out, if you think the way you used to think, 
If you think the way you used to think, you will do the things you used to do. Don't end up asking the question, what was I thinking? Without stopping long enough, pausing long enough to give yourself an answer. Because what happens is, if we don't, we end up like this little guy. If we don't answer that question, we don't rethink what's going on, we'll simply repeat the, th the past and the mistakes of the past. See, if you want to break the, the cycle of repeated mistakes, regret and resolve aren't enough, you've got to ask yourself, give yourself time to rethink what was going on. Now, the temptation is to say that that, uh, that was good information and, uh, you know, go to church, hear that, and, 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 uh, and then do nothing about what we just talked about. You know, you're going like, okay, that was good information. Yeah. I'm glad that Pastor Bill talked about the transformer and the, and the, the wee little guy here, you know, and, and, and I'm glad that, you know, I, I want to be a transformer, whatever, but let me tell you how, how easy it is to fall into a trap of, of thinking that we've really not, uh, not really rethinking some things. There's some assumptions that we have in life, many, many assumptions, I just chose seven today, that are common to all of us, and so that kind of illustrates what this thing is about, about how we need to rethink some things because we assume some things that aren't true. And I think we all we know, as, as I bring these up, you'll all go like, oh, I don't assume, but we do assume these things. The first one is this. The first one is this. Some people believe this. If I can find the right person, everything will be all right. If I can find the right person, everything will be all right. Is that an assumption that people make? I hear that all the time. I'm looking for just the right guy or the right girl. Let me explain something to you. Relationships are not an escape strategy. It's not something that you use just to escape the rest of life. You're not going to find the right person or the, the right person. You will undermine your relationship if you look for the, another person to be your, your savior, in a sense, other than Jesus Christ. See, relationships are not designed for rescue. See, the goal is this. The, if, the goal is to become the right person. The goal is to become the right person. Um, See, if the, it's, it's like this. If you become the person, the person you were looking for is looking for. Now, let me say that again. Okay. If you become the person, the person you are looking for is looking for, guess what God will do? He'll work in that. It's not about you going out and finding somebody who's perfect and everything. It's, it's, it's being the right person. Because, let me, let me explain something to you. Probably somewhere along the way, Somewhere along the way, you uh, thought that, you know, if you had a past and your history is a past of a bad relationship, you probably thought that person was the right person, right? Somewhere along the way, that's why you chose them, right? And guess what? If it failed, you were wrong! I'm not being crass or cruel, I just simply say that didn't prove itself to be true. And if we keep that kind of thinking that if I find the right person, everything will be all right, that's just wrong thinking. We need to rethink that. We need to be the right person. And God will begin to work in you in a lot more. That's number one. Number two. Number two. Um, <laughs> my situation is unique. My situation is unique. Uh, let me just blow your bubble right now. No, it's not. You know what we do with that one? You know, let me, what we do with that one, everybody thinks their situation is unique. But you know why we say that? Because we want to be the exception to the rules so we don't have to follow the rules. We, we, we don't want to, 
you're not the exception to the rule. Let me tell you this. You are unique, but your situation isn't. Let me give you a little insider story about counseling, okay? Most counselors, when they sit down with you, within the first 10 minutes can tell you what's, what the answer to your problem is. Can. And you're going like, well, why don't they just tell us? If that's true. Because they know that if they tell you then, you won't listen. They have to allow you to discover the process of what the problem is and, and, and ask the right questions and go through this process to help you come to your own conclusions. And guess what? That takes time. Because so often we just simply, you know, we think our situation is unique. And after, you know, I mean, so, so often it's somebody coming to the office and telling me their sad story. And, 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 and it is a sad story, okay? Okay? But I've heard, you know, I can categorize the sad stories into about five different groups, and that's about it. You know, it's number one, two, three, four, or five, you know? Oh, it's a 45-year-old guy with a story number four, okay? And the reality is, is that we kinda, our situation is not unique. It, we can't avoid following the rules or doing things to, just simply because we just want to do that. Well, you don't understand. Yeah, I do understand. No, your situation is not unique. You're unique. And you have to ask yourself, you know, when, am I trying to, and if you start, start making a decision based on my decision is unique, you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. We've got to rethink that. Number three, I love this one. I've heard this a thousand times. It's not right, but it makes me happy. God wants me to be happy. Heard that one? You said it? Confused yourself? Let me, let me ask you, does God want you to be happy? Be careful now. According to Scripture, I cannot find anywhere in Scripture that that's his primary focus in your life. And so if you're going around going like, well, you know, that makes me happy, so God wants me to do it, then guess what? That's your conclusion, not God's conclusion. Because there's a difference between joy and happiness. And God, the Scripture says very clearly that God wants you to be holy. And happiness may be a part of that, but joy is something deep in, in the essence of our soul. And the thing is, is that the, so often what we do, he wants us to have joy, but it doesn't always equate with happy. So let me just tell you the, the backside of that. If it's not right, things won't turn out right. Did you already know that before I put it up there? You know, I think you did. But so often we base, I've heard people say, well, you know, this just makes me happy. And then they, they use it as, an, as a, a way of, of go, going around what you really need to be doing. And so that's another wrong thinking thing that so often happens in life, and, and I've heard it many, many times. Number four, if I only had blank, then I would be satisfied. If I only had blank, I would, you just fill in the blank, whatever it is. If I only had blank, I'd be satisfied. <laughs> Let me tell you something about appetites. Does anybody ever get just one tattoo? Don't, don't, if you got tattoos, don't, 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 don't no. you know, uh, the, uh, people only know about one, but you know, it's, you know, but the reality is, I don't know what the deal is, I mean, I've talked to people who have bunches, I mean, tattoos, I'm not putting down tattoos, if you got a tattoo, that's great, you know, they're not for me, you know, I don't have that threshold of pain, but, uh, but if you have a tattoo, for some reason, I've talked to people that do it, and it's like, like, I thought, when I went into it, I just wanted to have this one, because it was the perfect one, you know, and, 
then I had to have two, and then I have three, and then before you know it, it's all over the place. And so the reality is that happens so often in life, and what happens, the reason is, 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 is this, appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied, whether it is for clothes or for a new nose, I don't know, whatever it may be. Um, things just don't, I mean, how many of you, when you had your first car, you're going like, I'm never going to get another car. How many of you ever said, you know, did any of you say that? Some of you said that? No, come on, Chris, you didn't say that. I don't know, he, he, I saw Chris, 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 patted you, patted you on the knee there. I don't know what that was about. We'll have to have a discussion about that later. But anyway, the reality is, I mean, you've had more than one car, right? And you're going, like, well, it wore out. Now, let me tell you something. You could keep a car running as long as you want to if you want to spend enough money. You can refurbish it. You know, I could refurbish I could still be driving that 57 Chevy. You know, I could. But no, it wasn't enough. I got to have something else. I mean, how many of you still live in the same house that you first bought, the first house you bought? Maybe, don't tell me you're 22 when you bought your first house. Okay, and you're 23 now, now, and so you live. But if you're older than that, I mean, how many of us still live in the same place? You know, it's like, you know, you want to have your dream home, and then your dream home is like, well, I want to have my dream home with a basement. I want to have my dream home on, on this lot, or I want to have my dream, you know, you just keep going. It's, appetites are never fully, finally satisfied. See, if you make decisions based on if I only had, then I would be fully satisfied, guess what you're doing? You're fooling yourself. You need to rethink that because it's a lie. And the next one kind of goes along with that is this one. I owe is better than I want. I've had people, you know, I owe is better than I want. I mean, this is backwards. It's backwards. I want is always better than I owe. So often we have a struggle in life. We have these two things. We have I owe and I want. And there's two things in life. You know, if I, I want, I have these wants. I have these wants. I have these wants. And the only way to have these wants met is what? Well, there actually is more than one way of doing it. You know, one of it's saving until you can not owe. But we live in a culture where advertising spends millions of dollars to do what? To tell you that you really need this. That want. And guess what? When you do it and you owe, they win. So I owe is, is not, you know, I want is not, um, is not something that we have to always deal with. It, it, I mean, we have to give into. So, but so often what it is, we have these two, and we're going like, you know, I want and I owe. I want and I owe. And if I, if I owe for a while, then my want will be met, and then everything will be great. Well, the reality is no, because going back to the last one, our appetites are never fully satisfied. And you'll want something else, and you'll want something else, and you'll want something else. And that's what happens in life so often. Number six, two more. My secret is safe with me. <laughs> How many of us believe that lie? You know what happens to secrets? Secrets leak, and they leak at the most inopportune times, do they not? The reality is, is that when they do, and when they do leak, they will sink relationships, and so often we go into something and we think, well, they'll never know about that, and we just, I just tell you folks, it's almost impossible, almost impossible keep a secret 
for a long period of time. If you're going into a new relationship, a new season of life, or a new pro- process, a new job, whatever, and you kept a secret that re- that, that's partially a- around that, what you need to do is make sure this is a time for you to start off fresh and new. Because it'll just, it'll just destroy you. Secret is not safe with you. Secrets leak. And so the, and the last one, let me give you the last one. The last one is it's just I threw it in for fun. Uh, because this is such a, such something that our culture just, just totally is eat up with. This is, this is the, the belief that sex will solve it. Sex will solve it. Let me give you what the truth is. Sex will complicate it. Sex will complicate it. If you're having trouble and you think sex will solve it, sex isn't a solution. Sex is a wonderful thing created by God you know, I don't know how he came up with it, but I wonder if one day he was in heaven and he was up there and he, he was looking down on the earth, you know, he created everything. And he looked down and he said, and he's going, and, and God says, oh, I just saw the most wonderful, crazy thing. And the angels go like, what is it? And he goes, uh, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> but see, in the context, God created it and he placed it in a context where it is awesome. Context of marriage. He placed it in that context, and, and when you rip it out of its context, you might as well have taken the embers out of your fireplace and spread them out on the carpet and the sofa and watch your house burn down. And some of you have experienced houses being burned down, not literally, but figuratively. And you've seen homes and families and futures destroyed over this idea that sex will solve it. No, sex will make it even more difficult to do the right thing. Her moving in with you will not solve it. His moving in with you will not solve it. You finally saying yes will not solve it. Sex will create an obligation, and I believe we all are smart enough to know that. But we live in a culture that constantly, every day, says sex is the solution it'll make you happy and we know that's not true so those are just seven (laughs) i could have gone on for a long time (laughs) but see we have to rethink things because we live in a culture that believes these things or at least lives according to these even though we might know in our head that we have not spent or that that these aren't true these things aren't true what Paul is saying to us in Scripture is this. It's time to renew our minds. It's time to renew our minds, not look at the world this way. And you're going like, well, Pastor, if I do that, if I, if I, if I renew my mind, you know, and I don't go along with all these things, I, I'll be a cultural freak. Yeah, you will. What, you you want to be like one of these guys? Want to be like one of these guys? Cookie cutter, who everything just kind of goes along. You're like everybody else, and you're just going down the road to wherever. Everything's falling apart. Or do you want to be a, one of these guys? transformed, changed. A person who doesn't continually repeat the past, especially in the areas of the things that we don't want to repeat. The person who's constantly asking the question, what was I thinking? You owe it to yourself to come up with an answer. No matter what, if it's one of these things we talked about or if it's something else, and you've asked the question, what was I thinking, you owe yourself 
to slow down enough to answer, to have an answer to that question before you take your next step. Time is your friend. Paul says transformation, being restored, is a process. Next time can be better than last time by renewing your mind. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day and the many blessings you give to us. Uh, God, your word in, in, in regard to Romans 12, 1 and 2 is so clear. It's so, this is not a gray area at all. You know, just making, trying harder and saying I'm going to promise and doing all those things, those are great. Those are great steps. But just making a promise, just making a commitment, just trying harder doesn't change anything unless we spend the time necessary to rethink the things in life that we've gone through and to reevaluate them in such a sense that we say, hey, my thinking was wrong, my actions were wrong, and now I have to go forward, and I don't want to repeat those mistakes in the future. God, thank you for what the Apostle Paul tells us. Thank you that our future does not have to be the same as our past in the areas of our failures. That, God, you give us direction in life. And your word, as we kind of conclude this series next week by talking about releasing it, will, will help us to understand that those, these three steps, these three, three small steps, owning it, rethinking it, and releasing it, are the three keys to making sure that our future doesn't look like the failures in our past. God is God to have the, the wisdom and the, and the desire to take the time to ask the right questions and to be transformed and renewed. Thank you, God, for your love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great day. See you next week.